Good morning, Village Church East. It is good to see you this morning. My name is Craig Jarvis. I'm the lead pastor here at Village Church East, and it is my privilege to bring to you a lot of announcements. Actually, it's not a, it's not a lot. Every one of these is really important, so I'm going to try and get through them as best I can uh, so that you are brought up to speed with what's going on here at church. Everything is really, really um, It's not you, it's me. All right. So, uh, yes, if you missed all that, uh, I'm excited that I'm here this morning with you. I'm the lead pastor, Craig Jarvis, at Village Church East. And uh, let me tell you what we're going to be doing this morning. We are going to start off right now uh, by taking up an offering. Um, And the reason we do that is because um, we... um, I'm, I'm an adult. I can do it. Uh, yeah, I, I know. Uh, <clears throat> all right. So let's start again. <laughs> yeah. Uh, first of all, if you're new here, uh, I don't usually do this, and so now you know why everything's falling apart at this point. Uh, no, if you're new here, we're excited that you are here. And we have a welcome folder that we're going to pass around in a few seconds. Inside, we have uh, prayer requests that you can fill out if you'd like for us to pray for you this week for something. Uh, we'd love to pray for you. Um, but more than anything else, there's a little green card in there that says, I'm new. And on it, if you are new with us, there's not a lot of information you need to co- uh, cover on this. Just give us your email address. This will get you plugged in. So if you are interested in what's going on here, you're curious about it, we will get you information ASAP, like starting this week. And uh, it starts with a little message from me. Uh, so I would love to get this green card from you. Just fill it out, and then you just put it over. There's a little clip in the folder, and you just put it under the clip, and I get all those at the end of the service. Um, and we would love for you to do that. Again, if you have prayer requests, or you'd like to find out if you could get involved in church, you've been coming for a while, that's the red card, the next steps card. All right, you guys can start passing those along. If that applies to you, just stop, fill that out. You don't have to listen to me. You can zone out for just a second and fill out any one of those cards as they would apply. Also, one other thing that we do is we take up an offering each Sunday. This is because it takes, uh, it takes a budget for us to operate. And if you would like to give, you are more than welcome to do that. But if you're a guest, we do not expect you to give. So you can let that plate pass right by you. Um, and uh, if you have been coming for any length of time and you'd like to start participating in what we're doing here at East, uh, we would love for you to do that. This is one way that you can do that as well. It's an act of worship for us as a church. So I'm going to ask the guys if you'd come forward and start passing out those offering plates. If, you, if you're not prepared to give this morning, you can give online, and uh, all the information is up there on how you can do that. Let me uh, give you a couple of things that I'd love for you to know about. First of all, if you've never been baptized and you've always wondered, like, why do we do baptism the way that we do? Some of you may have been baptized as infants. Some of you may have come out of traditions where you haven't bought into the whole baptism idea. On the 29th, I'm going to be doing a special class. The reason it's special is because it's on a Saturday morning. So we're going to meet at my office at Starbucks. And uh, my office is on 59 in Irving Park. So if you're ever looking for me, most likely you'll find me there. Uh, Depending on the time of day, you have a lot of my attention or a little of my attention. It all depends on how much caffeine I've had. So if you'd like to drop by for that class, I'm going to teach that class at my office, Starbucks, 59 and Irving Park. We're going to meet there, and you can sign up online. I'd love to know that you're coming. Uh, That class is going to be at 9 a.m., and I'm excited. It's one-on-one time with me, and uh, what I love about this class is anybody can ask any questions, and all questions are good. So if you'd like to come and find out why we do the way we uh, baptize the way we do, show up on, uh, that date is not right, show up on 229, February 29th, and um, we will uh, be able to have that meeting together. Gathering Table is a women's ministry uh, new thing that we're doing. Uh, if you're a lady here and you'd like to be involved with, uh, with other ladies, this is an opportunity for you just to get to know one another really, really, uh, really fast in a, in a small setting. And so all the information for Gathering Tables online, uh, we're only going to take these. These are going to be like sign up and you get to go kind of thing. We're going to do them through the year. 
but we're only going to take like five or six at a time. So make sure that you sign up if you'd like to get together for one of these days, and uh, we will plug you in at uh, one of these gathering places. Uh, my wife is heading this up, and she talks about it just about every day. So she's very excited about this. Um, she likes hanging out with you, and uh, if you want to get involved in that, um, you can talk to her and get more information, and you can sign up online. One of the other ways we have for you to get involved is uh, because you may not get in on a group of five this month, so you might have to wait for next month. Every single month, we have a ladies' drop-in. Uh, so if you'd like to get involved in that, again, that's all online as well on our website, uh, vceast.org. Uh, you can find us online and get all the information on this. The next one's coming up on Saturday, um, the 7th of March. <clears throat> all right. We have one more thing. It's tax season. How many people are excited it's tax season? <laughs> so the rest of us are not getting a refund. Um, and uh, some of you have been asking, like, Craig, how do I get my tax information for the giving that I've been doing, how do I get that? And so if you've been asking that question, you're in good company. A lot of people actually have been asking that question. And because we're growing, we have a whole, a whole lot of new folks every, every year with us. Uh, we're going to give you a small little tutorial about how you can get all this information. This also is a good plug for me to make sure that if you are not, like, if you haven't done 555-888, I'm new, I'm new, uh, you should do that immediately because you will get on our system in our, in our, um, uh, in our database uh, and then we'll be able to keep track of this for you. But we want to make it as easy as possible for you to get your giving information uh, so that you can get through tax season without too many tears. So Kathy's going to come up and explain how to do that real quick. Good morning. I'm Kathy Grage. I assist Pastor Jarvis. I'm very happy to be with you. Um, I'm about to squish an hour-long class into three minutes or less. So with that said, I'm going to start it by saying, if I'm going too fast, if you want more help, if you need anything, you can always, always just go to Google. You put Village Church East. It gives you a phone number. It's, uh, and I'll tell you, you don't have to write down because if you Google it, it's there. It's uh, 630-765-5941. That number goes to my phone. So you can text it, you can call it. If you need more help, just send a message there, and then we'll get it right away, and I'll be able to hook up with you, and we can go through this a little bit slower because it's a little little fast. So CCB stands for Community Church Builder. The whole reason that it was put together is to bring people together. We have one database that we share with Bartlett, okay? So when you get onto it, you can... Uh, well, we'll get there. So the purpose is it holds phone numbers if you need someone's phone number, someone's address, and it also holds the tax information for your giving. So if you need that for your taxes, if you're uh, itemizing your deductions and you need your giving statement, this is how you're going to get it. The easiest way to get to CCB, Community Church Builder, is you start on vceast.org. So it's vceast.org, and you can even cheat and go to vcob.org. They'll take you to Bartlett's website, but you can get to the same CCB. You go all the way to the bottom. So... When you go all the way to the bottom of the page, see where it says My CCB Login? Okay? And it says Username and Password. Now, here's a hint. If you have not filled out an I'm New card with your name and address and phone number on it, you're not in CCB. So, if you want to be part of CCB or you need your giving statement and you've never filled out an I'm New card, you've never gotten a welcome letter from Pastor Jarvis, I need you to fill that out so that we can get you in the system because your information's in there. It's just out in the Nexus and you don't have a login. If you don't have a login, again, you can let me know or you can um, text me, call me, and I'll give my personal phone number at the end, and we'll get you hooked up with one. But you would log in with your username and phone number. So um, it takes you, once you put your username and phone number, it flips you to this page, and then this is the, the home page for CCB. So you can see it says groups, people, serving, giving, and then the calendar. So you would go to people. So once you click on people, it takes you there. So you will start to type your name or your spouse's name if you're a couple. So this is Susie Q Public. That's what I made for this one. And then on the right-hand side, it shows you that. So see where it says financial, the third one down? Next to financial, there's three dots. I can go on this side too. There's three dots. And then you would click on those three dots. Once you click on those three dots, can you go to the next slide? Oh, I'm sorry. You might have to scoot down on your screen. That's what happened. It says giving statement and pledge statement. So pledge would be if you committed to give money in one of our pledge drives. Probably you're going to want to go to the giving statement. You would click on that. And it brings you here. 
So it'll say the type. So if you wanted just yours, if you and your spouse were filing separately, you could put just yourself. This one says family because most of the time we're filing jointly. And then it says quick date range. It's whether or not your giving was um, deductible or non-tax deductible. There are some things like uh, for Awanas and stuff that's not tax deductible. So it'll split that up for you whether you want both or you just want tax deductible. So click one more time. Emma, can you click one time? Oh, there was not. So when you ask the date range, obviously you would put from January 1st of 2019 through December 31st of 2019, and then it just prints out an Excel spreadsheet for you. I know that was really, really fast. So once again, to get to CCB, you would go to vces.org. If you have never turned in an I'm new card and you want a giving statement, you most certainly want to get us one so we can get you. If you need a user login, you can let me know. That's my personal cell phone number. You can text and just say, hey, Kathy, I need a login, and I'll send it to you. Okay? And the other reason, if you don't, even if you don't need a giving statement, it's a really good good uh, resource when you want phone numbers. Because I get these a lot. I get these texts. Hey, can I have Timmy's phone number? Hey, can I have Tommy's phone number? Well, guess what? It's all at your fingertips. All I got to do is log in there, and you can get anyone's address and phone number. Okay? You know, one more thing I want to share, too, and then I'm done. Um, the one thing about phone numbers, because that is kind of scary, is... Uh, we only give access to people who are regular attenders and members. So I don't want you to think if someone walks in here once, we're letting them into CCB. That's why you have to ask for permission, and that's why you have to ask for a login. So don't, if your address and phone number is on there, there is a way to make it private. Um, but even if it's not private, it's only regular members and attendees of all of Village Church. However, your tax information is there for everybody to get, just so you know. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm not the government. All right. <laughs> I just pray for the government. All right, you want to play a game? Yeah? Want to play a game? Uh, have you ever played uh, Would You Rather? Would you rather, like, have an arm or a leg cut off? And uh, It's a good way to start on a Sunday morning, isn't it? All right, here's some better ones. Would you rather be stranded on a ski lift for six hours or be stranded in a broken elevator with strangers for six hours? Ski lift? What if you don't have any beef jerky with you? You're just, it's a long time. Ski lift? Not a broken elevator? Yeah. A little scary. Me too. I'm terribly claustrophobic, so I've got to go with you on that. At least, you know, if you're going to fall, you can see it coming. All right. Would you rather be stuck for three hours in a room full of spiders or be stranded three hours treading water in open sea? The spiders would be allowed to be on you, yes. Yes, lots and lots of spiders. How many people pick the spiders? No, they're not poisonous. This is not a trick question. <laughs> yeah. How many people pick stranded at sea? Yeah? Yeah. Yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah. All right. How about this one? Imagine that you have to talk for 40 minutes to a room full of 60 people, all right? Would you rather have to struggle by not passing gas in front of them, or have a booger in your nose the entire time. How many people would go for the, uh, the flatulation problem? No. <laughs> no. Yeah. I just did a video. I seriously did this. I just did a video. I planned for this thing the whole time. I got junk on my shirt. I had to buy a new shirt because I was out. I, I got together. I did the video. This was like a video for somebody else, and I was helping them out. And then uh, it was just a terrible morning. I dropped my shirt on the, on the ground. It just got dirty. I had to go get another one. It was a bad morning. Anyway, I thought, okay, I pulled it off, got back in my car, looked in my rearview mirror, and I had a big burger hanging out of my nose. So <laughs> you may think these are based on some esoteric idea. These, some of these have actually happened. It's interesting. What's the common thing that we have for each one of these scenarios? What's the way that you make your decisions? You make your decisions based on what you fear less or what you fear more. Whatever you fear more, you, you avoid, right? Whatever you fear less, those are the things that you choose. I want to talk to you about a message this morning about fear. And we've called it, when I feel forgotten, what do I fear? Let me give you this phrase because this is a phrase that's going to come up over and over this morning. The outcome of your hardest decision is determined by your greatest fear. Now, hang on. I know it takes a while to process this. So think about that. I think I got it on the screen. Do I have that one on the screen, Emma? 
the outcome of your hardest decision is determined by your greatest fear. There it is. Awesome. Thanks, Emma. We're about to be introduced to one of the worst people in human history. Up to this point in the Bible, he might actually be in like the top five. This individual, um, we already know, we've already met Cain, we've seen what he did. He killed his brother, Abel. We've seen what Joseph's brothers did. We wouldn't invite them over for a, uh, you know, a tailgate party. We've met some pretty bad characters already in Scripture, but we've never seen the atrocity committed like the one we're about to see this morning. And this story is saturated in fear. Everybody that we meet, every group of people that we meet this morning is going to be inundated with some kind of a fear that causes them to react a certain way. You're going to see godly people fear. You're going to see people who despise God fear. And you're going to see people who don't know anything about God. You're going to see their fear as well. So have your Bibles. Let's jump in. Exodus chapter 1 and verse 8. Exodus 1 verse 8. We're going to, I'm going to give you a little bit of background before we get into uh, chapter 2, which is where we're actually starting this morning. But I want to introduce you to this individual that's going to shock the core, shock you to your core. Exodus 1 verse 8. Now there was a, arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. Now remember, Joseph is the one who saved Egypt from certain destruction. He was the one that God gave the vision that, or well, God gave Pharaoh the dream and he interpreted it for the, for the Pharaoh. There would be seven years of plenty and seven years of famine. So he organized a big, these big storage bins so they would save all the food. And then when the famine came seven years later, they would sell all the food. So they'd have enough food for themselves and they'd have enough to sell. And they would become a major player on the planet. And they did. That's what Joseph did for Egypt. But fast forward about 200 years and there arose a king who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us. Remember, Joseph's brothers came down. There were 70 of them when they arrived in, in Egypt. But now they multiplied like rabbits, and now there's hundreds and hundreds and thousands of them. So you read this verse, and this king arose 200 years into the future, who did not know Joseph, didn't respect him, didn't know him, didn't really care about him. What did this king fear? What do you think? According to these verses, can you, can you identify maybe something that this king would fear? Conflict? Starvation? Maybe we're going to eat ourselves out of all the food that we have? Losing power? Yeah, all of these people are going to grow. They are growing. We can't stop. They're multiplying like rabbits, and we're going to lose our power. So verse 12. But the more the Israelites were oppressed, the more they multiplied, and the more they spread abroad. And the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. What did the people of Egypt fear? Losing food, losing power, losing, losing influence, losing culture. This group that did not call themselves Egyptians that were dwelling in the land were, were growing more popula populate the population was growing more than the Egyptians. Well, and this was promised to Abraham. Remember, Abraham was promised by God that he would have a nation that would be like sand on the seashore. You ever try and, and count sand on the seashore? Talk about a futile endeavor, right? You ever try and count the stars in the sky? Uh, one of the presidents, I forget which one it was, <laughs> might have been Franklin Roosevelt, might have been Roosevelt, but there's a story told that he would take really influential people out into his backyard when they came over to his house to visit, and they would look up at the, at the stars in the sky, and he would say, okay, start counting. And the other guy would start counting, he's thinking, what are we going to do all this, and start counting, and then they would talk about how far the stars are away and all these things, how, how great the universe was, and then he would always end the conversation by looking at the other person who says, okay, now we feel small enough, let's go back inside. God said he would create a nation that would be like the stars in the sky and the sand on the shore. And it was happening. And the Egyptians were scared to death because there was more of the Israelites than there was of them. So verse 15, I'm glad you're sitting down because something bad is about to happen. Then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named 
Shipra and the other Pua. When you serve as midwife to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it is a son born, you shall, what church? You shall kill him. But if it's a daughter, she shall live. Church, what did Pharaoh fear? Can you see his fear of losing power? Losing influence? Losing his grasp of authority? If these people start, keep multiplying like they're doing and have these baby boys and they have more babies and eventually I'm going to lose control. Pharaoh was so scared of losing control, losing his power, that he decides he's going to kill every baby boy that is born. Now, Pharaoh, this Pharaoh was human. How desperate do you have to be to say, if it's a girl, they can live. It's a, if it's a boy, kill them. Think of how desperate that person would have to, how dark that soul would have to be. And it wasn't enough that Pharaoh felt this way. Look what he says in verse 17. Look what it says. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. Church, who did the midwives fear? Yeah. The midwives feared God. Now, do you really think they weren't afraid of Pharaoh? You think they just weren't afraid of Pharaoh? I think they were petrified. I think they were scared to death of what would happen if they disobey the edict of the king. That's, they were the only midwives. They were, they were busy. They were, they were running around seeing people deliver babies. They were busy. Of course they feared Pharaoh's power, but the question is, what did they fear more? Ah, so would you rather, right? It's what did they fear more? They feared God more. And so church, the outcome of your hardest decision is determined by your greatest fear. They had to decide, would they kill these baby boys? Something that every person would know, listen, every person would know, there's something off about this. If it's a baby boy, we strangle them. If it's a baby girl, we let them live. What's interesting to me that, that I found also is that their names are included. There's so many people that did good things, that feared God, that did good things, and we don't know their names. Like the lepers' friends. We don't know any of their names, but we do know Shipra, and we do know Pua. Why do we know that? Because Moses wrote this story, and Moses included their names, which tells you what? I mean, Moses wasn't even born when this edict came out. So what does this tell you? This tells us that Shipra and Pua, their names were passed down and passed down and passed down, as heroines of Israel. They saved these Israelite babies. Moses was told their names because they are the heroines who saved the lives of countless babies and they would live in history forever. The outcome of your hardest decision is determined by your greatest fear. Now, guess who notices that the baby population isn't going down? Pharaoh. So look what happens in verse 18. So the king of Egypt called the midwives and said to them, why have you done this? Why have you let the male children live? Now, do you think they were afraid when they had to appear before Pharaoh and he's questioning them like this? Would you be afraid? You've directly disobeyed a madman. Like, you have no reason to think he's going to be reasonable in the outcome of what he's going to say to you. He's not a reasonable individual. He calls them and he says, why have you done this? And here's what they say, verse 19. The midwives said to Pharaoh, because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women. They're vigorous. They give birth before the midwife gets there. They're dropping kids off in the field. I mean, they're having kids everywhere. Now, is this a true answer? Well, it's kind of, I think it might be true. And here's why. If you know the midwives have been commanded by the Pharaoh to kill your baby, if it's a male, would you call for a midwife? No, I wouldn't. So I'm guessing they're out of business at this point. 
So it might be, it might be, it's not true, but it might be maybe a little bit true. Like these, these, these ladies are dropping the kids left and right. We can't get there fast enough. Verse 20. So God dealt with the midwives. I love that. And the people multiplied and grew very strong. And because the midwives feared who, church? Because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. Now, what should the midwives fear? Torture, punishment, and, and, and probably the Pharaoh, not being a reasonable individual, is saying to these women, if you don't do this, I'm going to kill your kids, I'm going to kill your families, I'm going to kill your parents. Like, it's not just you that's going to get this, the, the, the hammer to come down. I'm going to kill everybody you know and love. And still, they obey God because they feared God. So here's where we're at. Fear Pharaoh, obey him out of that fear, and damn my soul to hell. Or, fear God, obey him, and lose everything I love. This is the decision that the midwives faced. And Pharaoh would make an example of anyone who disobeys. As I was reading through this, my heart went out to these ladies, because this is not a fairy tale we're talking about. This happened. This nutso Pharaoh lived. This edict came down, and these midwives are forever in Israel history, and we're talking about them in 2020 because they disobeyed the king's order because they feared God more than they feared men. And my mind went immediately to Psalm 37, 25. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there's nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. I am going to be faced with, and you are going to be faced with, things in our lives that we have to make decisions over. And so often we choose those decisions based on what we fear more, or you could say what we fear less. But I must determine before the battle begins in my mind and in my heart, who do I trust more? Fear can create a battle between the heart and the mind. The heart can remain petrified, but the mind can remain confident. And I think that's where these ladies were. They were probably petrified, but confident in God. It all rests on who we trust more, the God who loves us or the circumstances that threaten us. Now, we're reading about a story that occurred like 4,000 years ago. But man, isn't that true? I can't tell you my life how much it all rests on who I trust more. The God who loves me or the circumstances that threaten me. Everyone is afraid of something. Spiders, public speaking. I mean, everybody, small little elevators. Everyone's afraid of something. How many things am I fearing right now? I I can give you a list. I got two daughters, one's in California, one's in Georgia, and I don't, get to t- I, I don't get to know what they're doing today. They could be doing anything. They could be hanging out with anybody. They could, be, they could be being surveilled by some wacko down the street. I don't know what's going on with them. So you want to know? I fear some things. I fear what might happen to my kids because when they're close, I can at least keep them somewhat close. But I'm finding that not, that's not even true. Karis goes shopping at a mall. Some crazy person rams through the... Sears, Park, Sears parking lot and into Sears, they tell her there's some guy shooting in the mall. They take her into the back room and I get a phone call on my phone from Karis, my daughter, saying there's a guy outside the door shooting people and I'm stuck in a back room and I'm powerless. So you need to know, do you fear things? Probably, because I fear things too. Everybody fears things. My car is like so old, when it gets in the single digits, which happens quite often in Illinois, I pray to God, I fear it's not going to start on me. Every single time I turn, and it goes, and there it goes. I pray a lot when I get in my car. You ever driven on these roads? Yeah, I fear sometimes. Yeah, hey, here's a, here's a breakthrough, Right? If you drive in Illinois, there is a signal light that you can use. It's not optional. You should be using it. And the left lane is meant for people that pass or want to drive faster, all right? Just, just, um. The election. 
Get on Facebook and find out how many people fear. Uh, turn on the TV. People are scared to death about who wins the election. <laughs> it's, we live in a world that's incapacitated because of the fear that they hold in their hearts. I'm, f- yeah. It's not whether we're fearful. It's whether that fear is rightly placed. Fear can, fear can crumple my life. And the outcome of wrongly placed fear can lead to darkness and destruction. Listen, I can be so fearful about a relationship go bad that I never choose to have a relationship again. There are people all around us that have had relationships destroyed and because of the fear of destroying another one, their lives are changed forever. It moves them to a dark place where they don't trust anybody anymore. Fear can paralyze my life, and it's done that for many people. But for these ladies, man, Pharaoh who? Verse 22. So Pharaoh's lost control. So you know what he does? He makes a law that goes beyond the midwives. Pharaoh commanded all his people, every son that is born to the Hebrews you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. Do you realize what's happened here? He has gone to make this national law. If you see a baby boy, feel free, and if it's an Israelite, if it's not an Egyptian boy, feel free to grab that baby, walk down to the Nile, and hold it underwater. Think of the darkness of this kind of a a heart. And it's not that Pharaoh didn't love. Pharaoh loved his own family. I'm sure he had a little puppy running around. He loved his own little puppy. He loved something. But these guys scared him to death. And because he was so afraid, his actions grew more desperate and more nonsensical. He was killing the people that were building him an empire. A fearful heart sometimes can't see past its own fear. Verse 1, we get to a new chapter, chapter 2, verse 1. Now a man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him three months. This is Moses' mom. We're being introduced to his parents. Moses' mom has a child during the time when it is law for every citizen of Egypt to take every Israelite baby boy and feel free to take them and drown them in the Nile. In fact, they'd be rewarded for that kind of behavior. But Moses' mom has the baby. It's a baby boy. Why couldn't it be a girl? Has the baby boy and she hides him for three months. So church, who did Moses' mom fear? What did she fear? If you had a baby at this time, what would you fear? And it occurred to me, she feared the same thing as the Egyptian king. The Egyptian king feared that he would lose control because the population would get out of hand. Moses' mom feared that she would lose control, that her baby would cry, that that other people would see the baby, and so she hid him, and she hid him as long as she could, three months. But eventually, as all you moms know, (laughs) yeah, it gets hard to hide a growing baby. Verse 3, So when she could hide him no longer, she took, him for, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes and dubbed it with bitmen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the riverbank. She built a boat, a very small boat, that her little baby boy would fit into. Do you know what she did? She gave up control. More than that, she gave up her control. She built the boat, she put the baby in the boat, and then she had to put her trust in God. What would happen to her baby? Can you imagine this, moms? I can't even imagine this. But she had to go to sleep every night thinking to herself, is he still down by the river? Is he still there? We're not told too much of the story yet. But before we get to the rest of the story, I want to just take you to the book of Hebrews 11. We visited this passage before. Hebrews 11 is a a, a chapter that's full of people who have exhibited outstanding faith. Moses' parents are in Hebrews 11. And you know what they're commended for? This act. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful. Hebrews 11.23 
And read the rest of that, would you, church? And they were what? And they were not afraid of the king's edict. Now let me just pause for a second. Do you think they were afraid of the king's edict? It's a different kind of fear, right? Do you think they were afraid of their child losing his life? Sure they were. The mom, Moses' mom hid him for three months. They were afraid of what might happen. But this is not saying that they were bold and crazy and couldn't care less about the Pharaoh. What this is saying is they understood they feared God more than they feared the king. And they trusted God more than this crazy king. Their faith in God overcame their fear of their circumstances. I identify with Moses' mom, and I think to myself, she must have felt forgotten. She must have felt very alone. She must have prayed every night that God would just kill off this crazy Pharaoh. Don't you think? Just give us a normal person in charge. See, maybe she prayed that she would just have a baby girl instead of a baby boy. But she has to operate within the parameters that God has set for her. And even when she was forgotten or felt forgotten, her fear of God drove her decisions. Let me say it again. The outcome of your hardest decision is determined by your greatest fear. I want you also to see one other thing. She planned ahead. I love this lady. Why would she put her kid in the river? Like, what? that's a weird thing, right? She put her kid in the river. She knows Pharaoh's daughter is bathing in this river. I'll bet you she knows what time of the day Pharaoh's daughter is in this river. She knows the current of the river. I think she's planning ahead. She's praying to the God of Israel that he'll take care of the situation, and she's trusting him more, but I'm thinking she's got way in the back of her head a, a little plan. And so, listen, I fly fish. And once in a while, my, my fly box that's full of all these little tiny flies will fall into the water. And, and then, and depending on the, the strength of the current, it'll, all of a sudden it'll start going and I can't, I can't chase it down. So I'm usually with some other person that I'm, I'm fishing with. And what I'll do is I'll yell down the river and I say, my box is going right by you. Get the box when it comes by. So he's looking for it. He's looking for it. And then when it comes by, he's grabbing at it. <laughs> it's hilarious to see. He's grabbing at it. He'll grab it. And if he misses it, that fly box might be gone. This mom put her baby in a river in a boat she made, and it has a current. Can you imagine how much she planned ahead? My guess is she knew when Pharaoh's daughter would be down there. She knew what, every morning when Pharaoh's daughter would be there, and she was counting on one thing, and that is Pharaoh's daughter had a heart. Even though she may never see this baby again, she sticks him in a boat, puts him in the river, and gives the situation to God. She lets control go verse 4 and his sister this is Moses' sister Miriam stood at a distance to know what would be done to him now the river the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river which I'm sure she did every day while her young women were be, walked beside the river she saw the basket among the reeds she sent her servant women she took it and when she opened it she saw the child and behold the baby was crying she took pity on him and said this is one of the Hebrews children Fast forward a little bit. She takes this baby home. So church, what did Pharaoh's daughter fear? Pharaoh's daughter is an idol worshiper. There's all kinds of gods. It's a polytheistic nation. They worship all different kinds of gods. But Pharaoh's daughter knew the edict of her dad. She would have known that. She's literally standing in water. She has every opportunity to obey her dad. Water was there. And... If she didn't obey her dad, if she took pity on this kid and took the kid home, she would be seen as the rebel in her household. She would be seen as the, the daughter that doesn't obey the king. We all have to obey, but no, Pharaoh's daughter doesn't have to. I mean, she's going to have to live. And, and the idea that maybe her dad wouldn't let her keep it, you know, this new little bunny, this little animal she's taking home, maybe the dad wouldn't let her keep it. Maybe he'll make her kill it. But Moses' mom takes a risk that she'll have a heart. So Pharaoh's daughter feared something. Because Pharaoh's daughter didn't take the baby out of the basket and shove the baby underwater. She took the baby home. So church, what did Pharaoh's daughter fear? 
Good question, isn't it? She did not know Yahweh God. She did not know the one God. I think Pharaoh's daughter is created with a conscience like the rest of humankind. There are certain things that you look at and your neighbor looks at and the, the person that couldn't care less about God will look at and all of us will agree, there's something not right about that. And the idea that you would take a little baby boy, not a girl, but a little baby boy and hold it underwater until it drowns, every person knows there's something seriously wrong with that. Pharaoh's daughter couldn't name it. She couldn't say, well, this must be the conscience that Almighty God has given to me. But she had a conscience. Flawed, destroyed, broken as it was, she still had a conscience. And she knew there was something, something wrong if she would take that baby out of the basket and obey her father. And so church, whatever she feared, it was greater than the fear she had for her father. I love that. There was something in her that valued life more than obeying her own father. And I got to tell you, church, in our world today, that's true too. But we suppress that like nobody's business today so that we pass a bill that allows partial birth abortion and the, the chamber erupts in cheers and applause. And I have to tell you, I look at that and I just go, there's just something wrong with that. Verse 7. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. So the girl went and called the child's mother. (laughs) His sister was named Miriam. She's kind of walking along, watching this basket. If it gets dislodged from where it's supposed to be, she's kind of watching what will happen next. She's in the right place at the right time. And this is for all you kids, all right? She's probably a young teenager. And when she sees Pharaoh's daughter, who she's deathly scared of, like any young teenager would be, pick up this basket and look at this little baby, which is her brother. And she sees her holding the baby. She probably looks down there and thinks to herself, we got a chance. And so she runs down and she says to this stranger, children don't talk to strangers, but she says to this stranger, hey, I, I can go get you a nurse to take care of this, this baby for you. And Pharaoh's daughter said, yeah, go find a nurse. So you know who Miriam goes to find to nurse the kid? Moses' mom. Verse 9. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this child, this is Moses' mom, take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. Here's the incredible irony. Moses' mom is getting paid. She went from losing her child to now getting paid for taking care of her own child. This mom willing to give up control and let God do what he needs to do in some terrible circumstances she found herself to be in because she feared God more than she feared men allowed God to do something amazing. God's plan overcomes all these fears in amazing ways. And he does the same thing for us today. All right, let me finish the story. Verse 10. When the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses because she said, I drew him out of the water. Moses' mom got to raise her own son and get paid in the process. (laughs) Moses' mom feared, so God gave Moses' mom her son back. The midwives feared, so Moses gave the midwives larger families. Pharaoh's daughter feared. Even though she didn't know what she feared, she did what she knew she should do, and God gave her a love for a little baby who grew up to be her own son. And Pharaoh feared. So God took everything away from Pharaoh. The bottom line is they all feared something, but the one who fought hardest to keep control lost the most. And he is about to lose even more than he can possibly imagine that will culminate in the death of his only eldest loved son. So here's what I want to tell you this morning. Jumping ahead to the plagues. I can't wait to get to the plagues. It'll be fun, especially with all the plagues today, coronavirus. But anyway, no, uh, put fear in its place. Number one, put fear in its place. The problem of every human being is that without God's intervention, we all start at the wrong point. So I would say, church, we need to put fear in its place. And what do I mean by that? What I mean by that is everybody starts at the wrong place. It's not, it's not our fault. 
It's when we're born, we do not have innate fear of God in us. We fear everything else, but we don't fear God. We fear all the wrong things. In our natural state, we fear crime, mass shootings, financial hardship, auto accidents, coronavirus. We fear all these things. In our natural state, we, fear every, we are fearful human beings, but we don't fear God like we should. Not in our natural state. Romans 3.18 says this, There is no fear of God before their eyes. And we're all born into that mindset. But fear rightfully placed is the beginning of every successful person's journey. Church, if you want to be successful in life, you have to start by fearing the right thing and not fearing lesser things. And what do we fear as believers? Easy, you all know this verse, maybe Proverbs 1.7. Read it with me if you would. I love this verse. If you don't know this verse, you should memorize it. It's good. Proverbs 1.7. Here we go. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Where do you start getting knowledge? Where's the place you start getting knowledge? You start when you start fearing the right things and stop fearing lesser things. Fear God, church. That's the beginning of knowledge. A lot of people claim themselves to be wise in this world, but they don't fear God. And church... That's not real wise. What is the fear of God? Fear can mean something that drives you to isolation because you're afraid of it. I'm afraid of something, so I run away from it. Or it can be a healthy fear that causes you to learn and grow. For instance, <clears throat> I, was, I was working on the stove and I burned my hand on the stove as a child. Now, my parents told me, don't touch the stove when the little circles are, are, are red. Don't do that. But I did. And I didn't, out of disobedience, I was just a child. And I touched the stove. So now, before I even go near the stove, I look to see, is there anything red on the stove? Because now we have this glass top, and God knows what in the world's on and what's not on. But I check and make sure it's not on. Why? Because I did the wrong thing at one point. I learned from it, and I don't want to do it again. I can have a healthy fear of something that causes me to grow. Healthy fear acknowledges who God really is. And this is the fear that believers have of God. We do not have a slavish, cowering fear that leads us to run away from God being afraid of God. We have a fear of the Lord that drives us to worship and a humble reverence for this great God that we serve. We know who he really is. He, has, he, he controls the workings of the universe. He controls every cell within the universe. He's the giver and taker of life. He controls the destiny of every human being and every soul. Listen, you'd be foolish not to acknowledge this God. He controls everything. And if you think you can get through life on your own, forsaking the God that controls everything about your life, you're living in a fantasy world. And yet this is the world that a lot of people live in because they do not fear God. You would be foolish not to fear God. The gospel is the difference between being afraid of God and the fear of God. Fear that brings dis. dis debilitating action on my life has been perfected in the love of Jesus Christ. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That means we're all good to go. We don't need to fear God because Jesus Christ paid the penalty for our sins. We don't fear God's retribution. We fear him because he is powerful and our fear draws us to a reverent worship of who he really is. The more we know God, the more we fear God. But it's not a debilitating fear. It's not being afraid of God. It's understanding who he is and acknowledging his power. I have a wholesome dread of displeasing God, but I know that when I do, I have an advocate to the Father through Jesus Christ. I don't grow up as a believer as a maladjusted child constantly being scared of disappointing God. I grew up healthy, learning more about who God is. 
I love Jesus more because he gave his life so that I could have life. My growing knowledge of God perfects my fear in love of God. Romans 8.15 said this, You did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. My fear of God draws me to him like a, like a dad. A healthy relationship with God does not result in a cowering fear, but a healthy love for the God who loves me. There's a couple of things here. Results of a healthy fear of God. Let me give you a couple up there. You can take a picture of this because I'm going to zip through them. When I fear God, I acknowledge his power. He's way more powerful than I am. It's like, uh, you know, meeting Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> I know, I always go there. Uh, the Rock. All right, meeting The Rock. You, might, you walk up to The Rock, you're going, eh, he's kind of intimidating. I'm a little bit scared, right? Well, God controls the universe. And God can take The Rock out like that. When I fear God, I acknowledge his power. When I fear God, I obey him, like the midwives. When I fear God, I am genuinely grateful to him because I know he controls all things. And when I fear God, I trust him. This is what it means to fear God. I don't run away from him. I learn more about him. And that draws me closer to him. Listen, church, to navigate the issues of life without a fear of God, you will make a stupid decision every time. But to navigate life with the fear of the Lord, you will be blessed by the one who controls all things, including your life. I love Romans 8.31. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, church, yeah, you betcha. You've got this God on your side. More specifically, you are on God's side. And he's got this. The last thing that I would say is learn to respond properly to fear. Has fear ever led you to feel like you've been forgotten? My guess is it probably has. It has to all of us. Fear is the danger when I feel forgotten, but fear is the antidote also when I fear forgotten. Why? Because the more I fear God, the more I feel less alone. Who did the midwives fear? Well, they feared Pharaoh, but they feared God more. God's plans move forward by people who are forgotten, alone, and afraid. If you feel forgotten, alone, and afraid in this life, you're not abnormal. The question is, do you trust God? Do you, do you believe that he controls all things? You've been put into a crummy situation. Are you going to fear him? Or are you going to make bad decisions? These midwives are amazing. They understood God's power. They demonstrated thankfulness to him. By not killing these babies, they obeyed his will. They trust him for the outcome. Listen, one more time. The outcome of your hardest decision is determined by your greatest fear. So church, fear God. Does that make sense? The outcome of your hardest decision will be determined what you fear more. So church, fear God. Respond properly to fear. When your work tells you to do something you know you shouldn't do, fear God more than losing livelihood for your family. Because you don't have a job anymore. Because you might get fired for not doing what they want you to do. You're told not to worship Jesus because you live in a country that forbids Christianity to be practiced. You're thinking to yourself, well, that's not America. Not yet. <laughs> but it is Somalia, Syria, Iran, Saudi Arabia, North Korea. There are places all over this planet where Christians are being killed for their faith today. And listen, you don't have to go to church to be good with God. <laughs> but yet these people do. They take their lives in their hands. In North Korea, if you're caught with a memory, with a Bible verse, they used to hand out these Bible verses on the inside of candies because they couldn't pass out Bibles. And the government found out, and when, if you were caught with a wrapper that had a Bible verse in it, you were taken away to a camp and never seen again. That's still happening today. So church, what do you do when somebody tells you to stop worship Jesus or risk being killed? You fear God more. You fear God more. Why do you submit to your spouse? When your spouse is such a bonehead sometimes, why do you keep submitting to your spouse? Why do you keep giving? Why do you keep loving your spouse? Why do you do that? Because, church, that's what God says to do. 
and you fear God more than your spouse. I know that's a big one, but we fear God more. Why? Because someday you're going to have to stand before God and say what you feared more and why you did what you did. The proper way to deal with fear is respond to what I know, not what I feel. Respond to what you know, not what you feel. And I, I, I want to just make sure that you understand, we all drop the ball. You're never going to submit to your wife or your husband wholeheartedly all the time with a loving attitude, and it doesn't always work that way. But when you drop the ball, that's when God's grace kicks in, and he cleans up the empty spaces. Fear God more. Don't fear lesser things. Fear God more. Psalm 34, 7 says this, The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and God delivers them. O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. O fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The more you know about God, the more you fear him, the more you fear him, the more you trust him, the more you know what he's capable of, the more you fear him. And the less you fear lesser things. This is why the psalmist goes on to say two verses later, Come, O children, listen to me, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Listen, you need to know God. Because the more you know Him, the more you're going to love Him. The more you know Him, the more you love Him. And, And if you're just experiencing this journey, maybe for the first time in your life, you're among good company. Because there's a lot of people here that are experiencing this for the first time in their life. They're really starting to dig their teeth into who God is. He loves you more than anyone you know. He's promised you more than anyone could promise you, and he'll come through every time. He is more powerful than anything that can rise against you. He has promised to never leave you and never forsake you. You will never be alone. He is a place prepared for all those who love him. (laughs) Take it to the bank. And he has control over all things and over your soul. Church, you can trust this amazing, powerful God. There's a story called Lion, Witch, and Wardrobe. How many of you have heard this story before? C.S. Lewis put this, uh, this, um, these books out. And they're about these children who go back and forth to an imaginary world called Narnia. Good, good, good. We're tracking. They go to Narnia, and then they come back to the Shadowlands. That's Earth. That's life. And then they get transported back and forth in this book series. Before they ever meet Aslan, who rules Narnia, they're scared to death. And the reason they are is because they've heard about Aslan. Aslan is the big lion that rules Narnia. And if you read early on in the story, before they ever meet Aslan, people are telling them about Aslan. They're scared to death of Aslan. He's this big lion. They don't want to meet him. But they say, people are going, no, you're going to love him. You're going to love him. He's a great little lion. Pat him. He's a, he's a great, you're going to love this lion. They're going, oh, he's a big lion. I'm scared. These are little kids. And right before they meet him, the children meet Mr. and Mrs. Beaver. <laughs> And they tell him about how great and powerful this lion Aslan really is. Aslan, and by the way, is a picture of Jesus Christ. The whole story of Narnia is a story of Christianity. It's a great story written by C.S. Lewis. Aslan is a picture of Jesus. And these children are scared to death to meet him because he's this huge lion. And here's how the story ends. Well, right before they meet him, as they leave the beaver, beaver household. Ooh, said Susan. I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Oh, that you will, dearie, and make no mistake, said Mrs. Beaver. If there's anyone who can appear before Aslan without their knees knocking, they're either braver than most else or just silly. Then he isn't safe, said Lucy. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Don't you hear what Mrs. Beaver tells you? Who said anything about safe? Course he isn't safe but he's good. He's the king, I tell you, and he's good. He's good. As the story progressed, these children fall in love with the lion. They learn to love the lion. They long to be with the lion. They cried when the lion was killed, and they rejoiced when the lion came back to life. Why? Because the lion was the most powerful entity in Narnia, and the lion loved them. And guess what? 
over time, they loved him back. Church, come and listen to me, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. God is a lion. He's the greatest power in the universe. He is desperately in love with you. He is on your side. And you should, if you have any sense, fear him. And that fear should cause you to love him more every day. Let's pray. Father, I'm grateful for this message because it's difficult sometimes for us to understand fear in a positive context. We fear so many things that drive us to make bad decisions. Help us to learn to fear you like we should. Thank you that you are more powerful than a great lion. You are the God of the universe. You control all things, and you love us. Thank you for loving us so much that you gave your only son to pay for our sins on the cross so that we could have a relationship with you. The blood that was spilled covered our sins so that we could be right with you. Thank you that you judged Jesus so that those of us that learn to love you never face that judgment ever. Thank you for setting us free. And I pray that we would know you more and that we would exhibit a healthy fear of you that draws us to love, reverence, and awe more and more every day. For you and for all that you have done for us, I give you thanks. In Jesus' name, amen.